If you've ever wanted to scale your business to the point where you're making several six or seven figures while also working less than 40 hours a week, you probably know by now that in order to get there, you'll need to hire staff. You see, I find the toughest part about hiring is knowing who to hire and when to hire. That's why we have a guest on the show today to chat all about creating systems to hire appropriately, while also going over some different ways to look at hiring, including outsourcing work to VAs and what's called a fractional hire. If you're at the point in your business where you need to hire to grow, or you're just getting started in the business but know you'll be there eventually, then you'll want to stick around for this one. If you're new to the show, my name is Tom Moffitt, and I'm joined by my good buddy, business partner, and co-host, Brandon Love. Whether you're new in the industry or a seasoned vet, you will get specific takeaways from every episode as we strive to make Commission Breath focused and granular. Let the Commission Breath podcast be your tool to grow in your mortgage business. So with that being said, let's dive into the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Commission Breath. Brandon Love here with Tom Moffitt and a very special guest, Paul David Eskew. Paul is from the podcast Grind Less, Flow More. He's also a mortgage broker based out of Vancouver, British Columbia. And today we are going to do a deep dive on hiring, growing teams, and everything that comes along with that. So thanks for joining us, Paul. Tom and Brandon, thanks for having me. I'm really excited. Awesome. Yeah. So I originally reached out to you, Paul with the intention of talking about podcasting because I've tuned into your podcast. Hmm. I love what you're doing. And you're like, you know what? I think your listeners would really get value out of scaling your business through hiring and delegating. So I'm like, you know what? We haven't really done an episode specifically on that. So that's why we brought you here. So why don't we just start off by just kind of getting some background, the lay of the land as to how you got into the industry, where you're at today and kind of the journey along the way there. Yeah, definitely. Thanks so much for that setup. Well, in a nutshell, I've spent the last 15 years thinking about how do you help entrepreneurs grind less and flow more? How do you help them make sustainable income? So what's sustainable income? Well, we see it as something that was popularized way back in the day in a book that I think most entrepreneurs read as their first, The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. He talks about relative income. So he talks about it doesn't really matter how much money you make at the end of the year. It's about the profit, not the revenue, obviously, but also it's the amount of time you put into that. So it's profit relative to time. So it's the efficiency of how you make money. And one thing we like to add on to that is, well, how is optimized? Are you tracking it? And lastly, do you have maximum happiness and zero burnout? Can you strive towards that? I think especially after COVID, there was an awakening, value shifted a little bit. And yeah, there's more to life than just making money. So I've done that in multiple ways and we'll get into it. But uh, yeah, just background story on me. Born in Mexico City, moved to Vancouver when I was four, grew up on the west side, went to UBC, and I have third passport from Spain. So very international, and I think that's important for obviously how I run my business and the different ideas and the ways I put some soul into sometimes a soulless industry. Yeah, like professionally, I mean, I guess my 50 minutes of fame was Dragon's Den in 2014. We were at the time working on a tech company that built a pocket concierge for people to choose their favorite restaurant based off a mood that they're in. So things Spotify meets Yelp. And uh, yeah, that was a, a really cool experience. And spoiler alert, we did get funding, but not in the way you may think and save that for another day. Then evolved into a marketing agency. So social media and sales automation in 2016 that we evolved into that. Still working with restaurants. And when I moved to Toronto in 2018, I think it was just to feel less stuck. I was in the same environment for so long. I took Vancouver for granted, I know. And 
when you go somewhere else, especially like Toronto, great city, but not the exact same kind of beauty or community. Things sort of shift a bit. But the cool thing about changing your environment is when you are somewhere new like that, where it's a lot colder and arguably, you know, physically and metaphorically, <laughs> you kind of you get shocked out of your system and new opportunities come to you. So that's when I started meeting a lot of mortgage brokers. I didn't really know what a mortgage worker was back then. Honestly, it was just like as an entrepreneur, it's the last thing you think about. You know, home ownership, great. Maybe one day. I mean, I think that's a sentiment anywhere, right? But especially as an entrepreneur, you're thinking about the house over your head, which is the place that you rent and the staff that you have on board. Met a lot of mortgage brokers and they started expressing needs around better marketing themselves. And uh, it was just an opportunity that I guess had to make sense to explore. This was like a couple of years before COVID or really a year before COVID that we started exploring and diversifying. And I mean, they always say, if you can be empathetic to your customer, like that's how you win. Easier said than done. And working with restaurants, I had thought about opening like a small taco stand or something and doing some marketing on us and having this as a case study. Never quite had that align. But in Toronto, at least at the time, I could do that. At the same time, I found out that you can get certified within one week, right, through a full-time course. And at that point, I actually had the freedom to do that. And this is going to go back to our theme around staff. I had hired, literally, you went from an apprentice to co-founder, Santiago, awesome dude, really smart guy. And I'm like, I told him, Hey, keep running with the company. I'm going to do this covert mission and get my broker license so that I can be the Trojan horse case study for us. I'm going to get the license just for fun. I mean, probably good to learn how to eventually strive for home ownership. But really, if I can be our first customer, <laughs> we can experiment with me and I can be very patient and you can give me lots of resources, then that could be a good start. We did that and we got lucky. It got timed with the bottom of the interest rates, COVID and just applied a certain set of sales systems and I call them systems of giving and just this growth mindset, which we talk a lot about on the podcast. And yeah, we got nominated for newcomer of the year across Canada. And then suddenly we had to work more mortgage brokers. It was just what the market wanted. And then me personally, my dollar per hour, my relative income shot through the roof 12x. As much as I didn't find this to be as sexy as restaurants, it was just clear that there was a need there. And yeah, I dove headfirst into being a mortgage broker and haven't looked back since. I mean, at the same time, my agency still exists. Santiago runs it. So we've got a you know portfolio of brands we have under this brand, I mean, called Level Up Advisors. That's kind of our corporation. And the whole goal back to what I said is, how do you help people build sustainable income? And that doesn't just come from being a broker. It comes from being a good marketer. It comes from you know, health, it comes from a lot of different things that, yeah, we present to a lot of our clients. So it's kind of a multifaceted thing. But, you know, my lane right now is pure mortgage brokering. We have a commercial arm and we deal a lot with business owners, people that are especially burnt out, people that are especially, I think, making a big difference in the world. And they're just not getting the treatment or the understanding from banks, even sometimes other brokers who, who need to speak their language and understand that their time is so precious and they need lots of solutions and they have no time. They're, you know, managing staff, contractors, et cetera. So that is a bit of a intro on my story. And here we are. Nice. Totally feel your comment there about your relative hours shooting up through the roof with brokering. I feel like it's such a gateway drug when you look at it like, oh, wow, okay, I can work 40 hours a week or even 25 or less in some scenarios and make hundreds of thousands of dollars. And you compare that to another industry. I was in farming before and working directly with restaurants. And, you know, there is not the value because there's not the margin in the industry. So it's harder to scale that way. And you touched on something there about brokers feeling burnt out at certain times. And I think a lot of other 
industries, there's arguably more burnout, but we sometimes get burnt out in the mortgage industry because we're constantly doing similar scenarios, but different people and working with people who are high stress on the other side of things. And that stress can kind of get transferred over. And a little reset I've been doing recently is just kind of thinking back to those old days of having to wake up at like five in the morning, go to the farm, finish the day late at night. And then I just had this like intense gratitude for where I'm actually at today and all the opportunities that this industry has opened up. And I found that like in times where I was feeling stretched thin or a little bit burnt out, that that's been a huge frame to kind of reshift and then go back into the next day with that renewed energy. Beautiful. Bang on. Yeah. So let's pivot to your first hire. So mm-hmm. if we're going back to, let's say your marketing agency, you mentioned that you're still part of that business, right? Mm-hmm. So then is that fully off your plate at that point? Like your business partner is handling that with other staffing and then you're kind of just the front facing with lead gen or how does that work for you? Yeah, great question. So, you know, when you run any business, it's very hard to be completely hands off until it's really a certain level. I'm there very strategically. And one big thing is letting go. So when I was going to go on this Toronto adventure, yes, to build the business in a bigger, brighter city, at least that's how I saw it at the time. When you leave, like you're forced to delegate some things and not be in the weeds or else you can't really think about things. So again, I started like for years, like there's so many amazing apprentices, you know, interns, just young people who are not given a fair shot. And, you know, if you have the right leadership and the right story and you really want to help them level up, you can get a lot of people that want to contribute in some way. But yeah, I mean, you really got to find someone who can be an independent thinker and can have the right confidence. And you have to nurture that. And when you do that, you just start letting go of more and more things. And yes, ideally, you are the rainmaker and they are the operator. They understand pretty much the whole process. Ideally, that's documented somewhere, right? And yeah, when I was in Toronto, I was given the space to think because otherwise I'd be in the weeds with customers three hours behind me, right? And that just becomes, you know, not ideal for, um, again, flowing to really having time to think and strategize and try new opportunities. So yeah, he was a full-time staff with a bit of equity. And then I just gave him more and more challenges and opportunities. And he sees it really well. And eventually I was only really working couple hours there, mainly just for sales meetings, things that really move the needle, things that improve not just my relative income, but also San Diego's and the teams. And that's how it is today still. I mean, there's still meetings I'll jump in for. We have certain corporate cadences, weekly meetings, dailies. We follow the EOS framework, a great way to run your company, no matter how small you are. That's from Traction, right? Correct. Yeah. By Gene Orton. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great book. So if we're transitioning to the mortgage side of things, can you speak to your first hire and like what that role was and if you would either change what you did or if you would recommend the same situation for the typical average broker that wants to make their first hire? Yep. First hire for me, well, I had a bit of an unfair advantage. It was Tangu Marketing Agency. (laughs) So (laughs) they did all my marketing. And the first thing I would do really for hiring, and you can do some of this yourself, at least at the beginning, is really souping up your LinkedIn profile. Assuming you're going to go for realtors, which you guys have talked extensively on previous episodes, that was a really great one. You got to have that front facing brand. And again, I think you can take a course to do some of that yourself. But at some point, things like inbox management, you know, helping flag your DMs, even helping you sometimes, you know, manage your inbox. That's kind of what the first assistant usually does is they help you stay on top of communication and 
they can sometimes even actually act like you and respond to basic emails. So I feel like the name of the game here, you guys have talked about extensively again, is communication, right? So if you're already on that stuff, then you might be like, Paul, I don't need someone to answer my email, at least not yet. You may go for the direction of getting like a fractional underwriter, which I'd probably say for like most other cases, it's getting a fractional underwriter. So what does that mean? Let's actually break that down to you know two positions. There's underwriting and fulfillment, right? The latter, no one really likes to do. It's the form 10 and it's when you got a deal closed and it's like, why am I doing this? This is a complete waste of time. And we're lucky we're under Tangle Financial Group, which is part of M3. And they're innovators in the space. They are the ones who came up with couple different like widely used platforms. I mean, Doc Assist at the time was very popular. And if you guys look at Lender Spotlight, that was made internally by the Henry brothers. So we used a lot of that, actually. That was something that was, I mean, pretty important. Essentially, they had these fractional underwriters. Again, I don't know if every broker is going to have it. And it's called Tango Plus. Is They had a full-time four ladies. They're still going today. They're awesome. And yeah, they would do your just your compliance part. And they would fractionalize it for a few hundred dollars. And then that was it, right? And they're very generous. They would actually step into the deal. The second you get approved, they're not just doing the back end work, but oh, you know, yeah. I challenge them to even like handhold clients and help them, you know, figure out their down payment verification and they really go above and beyond. And you know, let's call it four hundred dollars. And let's say that's you know, four hours of work, not just the compliance package, but actually closing the deal, even talking to lenders. I mean, the dollar per hour fine might become a hundred bucks. But like, that's like $100 where it's not like you just do it all in four hours. It's like death by a thousand paper cuts. Yeah. Like the stress of having three or four or five deals on the go, each of a lender nitpicking one thing and the client asking a certain question and everyone being stressed. That is a stressful four hours that I am happy to delegate and yeah. share some of my commission from. I think if you have that luxury, it's a huge, important hire. If you don't have that luxury, one thing that I've done, because of course there's limitations there, there's also the whole part where you're front facing, you're trying to get someone to get you all their documents and you're nudging them along your pipeline to pre-approval and you've got to do their FINMO application or whatever you're using. And even that at a certain volume becomes exhausting. So I hired a fractional assistant overseas actually in Mexico City, my hometown, and I trained her to, you know, just help me organize a lot of that. Of course, you know, never saying she's a licensed broker, never giving advice, but right. you know, some client correspondence and teeing up a lot of those processes for me is very helpful. And again, like you should be doing all of this yourself and building a process because nothing's going to beat how you do it, but eventually can get some help to fill in the dots. And like, you know, this could literally be anywhere from, you know, eight to $12 an hour, right? Grab some for five, 10 hours. And as long as you know how to manage them, you're getting some time back to really do the most important thing. Be great with clients talk to your referral partners and prospect because end of the day, this is a glorified sales role, right? Yeah. You know, you want to be a thoughtful salesperson. You don't want to feel like you're just a salesperson. That's a, of course, another discussion. But yeah, I mean, I think a fractional assistant to help with the front end or the back end is like the first thing you should look at. That's what we had done as well in our business. We hired someone who basically, once the file is approved, she picks up the file, she submits all the docs to the lender, she follows up with the client for any missing pieces, mm -hmm. does compliance at the end, and we find it frees up so much time and mental bandwidth that way. And for people listening who don't have kind of that internal model that Paul has, there are independent contractors who do this as like a standalone business. So you just have to know where to find them and see if they have the bandwidth to take that on. You talk a lot about fractional. I've heard you use that phrase a few times. So why don't you go deep on the fractional side of things? And like, are you just 
picking parts of your process that you feel you can delegate, building a system for it and handing it off. How do you determine what to allocate, the budget for that task, all those pieces? Great question. So fractional, it infers, is not having a full-time person because like you need to be at a pretty good volume level to justify that. Although there's a fractional way to have a full-time person, you know, some brokers share one underwriter, right? Right. Who's paid on a salary, et cetera. We haven't quite done that. I've seen it been done. Yeah. So for us, you know, who can at a 5, 10, 20 hour a week level completely own something and give you peace of mind to do what you do best? You know, as I said, I think as a broker, like your biggest duty that cannot be replaced or very hard to be replaced is the quiet confidence for clients to move forward of speed and conviction. So in other words, you're there to hold their hand. Really, like that is your role. Why are we hired as brokers by banks and monoline lenders and anyone else? Because unfortunately, they do not have the bandwidth to provide any level of service. And I'm just like, my blood boils when I just think about like how terrible an experience people get from banks primarily for no fault of their own. If you think of the way that they're built and the way they're incentivized and their corporate culture and just how understaffed they are. Like how many underwriters have burnt out at certain banks because they just got to figure out their shit basically, right? So that's our advantage where we again become these, I hate to say glorified salespeople, but I would say like glorified- Technical sales. What's that? I was going to say glorified technical sales. Like you got to know the knowledge to be able to advocate something. But at the end of the day, it is sales if you want to scale your business and do well. Totally. And this is with any business. So because of that, you're kind of like your coach. And I really see me as a coach of my teams and my brands and my clients. And I call it educational sales. You're educating them in a non-pushy way. You're giving them data. And then you're also guiding them to keep moving forward. And they're going to have all kinds of resistance, of course. Oh, I'm busy. Oh, there's that. There's a lot you have to unpack. And it's just about figuring out the art. Everyone's different in different customer journeys. How do you nudge them forward? And again, that's on you. But you cannot really do that with an empathetic mind and open heart if you are distressed and slammed and doing things that do not fuel you. So again, like I try to focus as much as I am there to, of course, do the first intake call, of course, deal with my referral partners, build that important customer journey. And as you guys have said in previous episodes, like, you know, have that like really tight follow-up process with my referral partners. It's about communication. In a nutshell, the biggest pain realtors have and the clients have for banks, no communication in the highest stress thing in their entire lives. People are just shocked. How can this be a standard when I'm just stressed? It's an opaque industry and it seems like they don't care. And of course, people care, but they're just busy, right? So you got to make people feel taken care of. And again, it's going to be different for everyone. But I think, yeah, you have to be just hand-holding the client. And if you can outsource everything else where all you're doing is taking the intake meeting, checking in, answering questions, and then when it's a live deal, really you know, reviewing where they're going, how do you give them a better night's sleep? That's my line. That's what they want, right? So everything else you should have help on. And again, in terms of budgeting, like think about it, right? Think about how much money you get to keep at the end of the year with taxes. And what are some of the costs here? Well, there's, you know, a fractional assistant overseas at $10 an hour, you know, 20 hours a week, that's 200 times four, 800. Think about your rent, think about your other expenses. Does that make sense, right? So you got to budget this, of course. In terms of marketing, highest value that I see, and of course I have a bias, is if you can do biz dev and do some level of LinkedIn automation or prospecting with referral partners and have the soft skill training to actually be on a call and confidently ask them the questions that make them really want to work with you, I mean, that's huge, right? And that's sustainable. I guess so there's the like crossroads of lead gen or referral partner generation. And there's obviously, I think, a, a healthy mix. 
But look, like if you want to do lead gen on Google ads or Facebook, like you need minimum $2,000 to make that work. Truly, right? I think, right? $1,000 for the contractor, $1,000 of ad spend. And then you got to be amazing on the phone and have the time to chase people around, which by the way, maybe that comes later when you have a better process and assistant, et cetera. I mean, realtors, it's just organic. It's building relationships. It's technically not that expensive. I mean, you can figure it out yourself and go on LinkedIn and you take some like really inexpensive course. I and mean, we have a course at our agency, Tangu, all about prospecting on LinkedIn. That was kind of, I guess, the course that I built by being the guinea pig. And I think that's obviously something that, you know, is probably a nice low hanging fruit, but depends on your personality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you're going that route, we'll do a bit of a deep dive on the VAs. So I assume with your program and with LinkedIn and the strategies there, you have some sort of the automations done by someone overseas through VAs? A bit of both. So the process there is there are some automations. I mean, one platform is called Meet Alfred, someone that you know we partner with and we've got an awesome promo code if you really want to use them. And they basically help you prospect a certain segment of realtors. So when I moved to Toronto, I didn't know a lot of people. So I actually went on the search bar, the free search bar on LinkedIn, and I said Toronto Realtor. And then a thousand people come up, 50,000 people technically, right? And counting, maybe even more in Toronto. And basically from there, there's a list and then you can send them a drip campaign on you know that first intro message and then like literally can do 10 drip campaigns over two months or three months if you want that can get extremely annoying and i think people are very sensitive to automation so even you know since 2019 things have changed and you know beyond using that software it's about 100 bucks a month you know we found the best conversion rates are actually when you do a personalized reach out but that's tedious and that's where you want to bring a VA, but yeah. are they going to know the checklist that you go through mentally to do it properly? So what we've done recently is, yes, we're in the era of ChatGPT, and we found that if you can prompt ChatGPT to scan their profile and basically manually create that message that the automation does, but you do it really quickly, we found a lot of success with that. Basically, it's a mix of artificial intelligence and just using your heart and your process. So... There's a mix of pure automation with a very catch-all message that's like not salesy, of course, that's very general. And then there's a level of like, you know, personalized reach out, which you should probably start doing yourself, you know, bang out 20 minutes in the morning with your coffee yeah. and just do it as tedious as that sounds. And eventually there's prompts you can do to then outsource to either ChatGPT or run it through ChatGPT. Or what we've done now is we have, you know, virtual assistants or fractional assistants, however you want to call them, that will follow a specific script, a specific process, and either use ChatGPT or their own intuition with, of course, following a process, they'll spend the one or two hours a day doing very tedious tasks that are probably not worth your time, unless you're adding like a ridiculous amount of extra value. But if you got a process down, you won't be that different than them. And that's a good tripwire to be like, if they can do it 80% as good as me, that's good enough. Yeah. And a lot of entrepreneurs talk about that exact line, like Dan Martell, who was on our podcast, a lot of people. So it's, you got to let go <laughs> to some degree and it varies per person. I think that's the challenging part is sometimes you're like, oh, I do this thing well. And then you hand it off to an assistant or someone and you're like, oh, I wouldn't really do it that way. We struggle with that. Sometimes we'll talk back and forth, but I'm like, did it get done? Is the end goal there? Yeah. And we're like, yeah, it is. So yes. definitely love that frame. And I think it's super important to remember and to constantly remind yourself of because it's one of those things that everything you delegate, you kind of go through that struggle of, well, I, I would do it a little bit differently this way. Mm. And for people thinking about adding that LinkedIn layer, when we talk about like building the ask muscle and things like that in previous episodes, this is a great opportunity for you to do that, to bang out your five to 10 opens per day, get those asks, try to meet those realtors, financial advisors, lawyers, whoever it might be that you're targeting. And you'll know from doing that 
sort of what works and what prompts you're using. And then from there, build and refine your system out of that. The first thing I would do as a broker, whether you're brand new or, you know, starting your strategy planning is take a hard look at what is your niche and what makes you different and truly think about that. And unfortunately saying I'm great at communication is not something that's marketable. That's more of a, you got to walk the walk than talk it because good communication can mean so many different things. And although that I think is the core value prop, you can't flaunt that. But things you can't flaunt and maybe put on your profile, like for me, we have, you know, commercial lending. People usually Google that stuff on LinkedIn, et cetera, and I get reach outs. And that's a very like, it's a categorical niche that's very specific and that can work. If I put a great communicating mortgage broker on LinkedIn, you can probably tell why no one's Googling that, nor will they believe me. But yeah, I think your niche is really important. And that's when you talk to realtors, they'll be like, hey, how's it going? And like, look, you know they have a longstanding relationship with someone, even if they're a couple years in, or maybe it's a more fragile one. It's important to qualify that, be direct around that ass, like who's your go-to. And I try to say, look, one plus one equals three, right? The whole is greater than the sum of its parts. So that's when you tell them, hey, like you're a matchmaker, I'm a matchmaker. The better we matchmake clients and they have a team around them, I say you build a moat around them because what's a pain point for realtors when they're working on a lead for years and by chance the lead is not ready to buy and they meet another realtor or another mortgage worker at a dinner table party and then boom, they lose them. You want to position around their pains of losing clients, but also you want to be upfront around like what makes you different. So, hey, I'm from Mexico City. I speak Spanish. How many Latin clients do you have? Like no matter who their broker is, they probably don't speak Spanish. And if you have some of those value props and they're already going to put you on the roster, right? So think about like what makes you different in like, again, like categorical differentiation, commercial mortgage broker, Spanish speaking, even your background, like, you know, came from tech and marketing. They're going to think, yeah, whose energy is going to match Paul's number one and whose specific need is going to match Paul. And the more you're upfront about that, I think the better. And yeah, you know, I think that on top of hitching that relative to their pain points of clients leaving, clients being uneducated. And then yes, saying like, look, I'm sure you've talked to lots of brokers and look, sometimes the busiest brokers, unfortunately, are the ones that make your clients feel like the biggest number because they're too busy for their own good. If you say little things like that, which insinuate they're bad at communication, that's where I think you've got someone who's like, oh, wow, this person understands me and they understand my pain points that I lose clients sometimes because of circumstance. And if they're basically a salesperson for me, that's ideal. And you guys talked about, you know, I mean, I did this in my early days is called up realtors. I had all the time in the world and I said, hey, who are your leads? I'm going to call them all up. And unlike what you guys recommended, I had a realtor who had like leads that were way past six months. So spun on my wheels a bit, but that's when you get to learn your sales pitch. And that's why it's probably better to work on existing leads. It's called them even like tire kickers before you pay for lead gen. Cause it's all about how fast on the spot you can, again, differentiate yourself and do the same sort of process I talked about with realtors. So just some things there around differentiating yourself and speaking to the realtors pains and making them really bucket you is just categorically different. And then the rest of it is just again the communication piece and like the hustle piece. That's just through your actions. So that's when you have to get a CRM, have a cadence of follow-ups. When you follow up, it's not just like, hey, how's your day? Got deals for me? It's like, hey, I just saw that in the US, 
they're going to be doing this with their rates. And because the stock market is a like bull market, that means that bond rates have to go up, which means fixed rates have to go up, which then means if you have clients who have, you know, uh, existing pre-approvals that are expiring, they should probably refresh it ASAP because here's why there's a leading indicator that they can go up again. And that, by the way, could ruin your chances of getting a deal done. Why? Because then people qualify for less. They're more demotivated. So it's always back to like helping them protect their client, make sure the client transacts. Anyways, I can talk about it forever. So thanks for bearing with me. But uh, no, it's super important. Because you're speaking our lingo and I literally just sent out that email this morning to partners. So I'm laughing internally. Love it. But yeah, it's funny because you can't just say like, I'm good at communication, even though that is their pain point, hmm. communication with brokers, you can't lead with that because everyone else says the same thing. It's like, okay, well, it's so bland. Whereas like you're really just packaging it in a different way, but you're still talking about communication. So I love that. Mm -hmm. To circle back a little bit on the VA portion, like if I'm someone, this is kind of like a selfish question because I've been doing a deep dive into hiring a VA, mm -hmm. is if you wanted to hire a VA to do email inbox management and even some of like the document collections, Obviously, they can't do any underwriting because they're not licensed. Mm -hmm. But if you wanted them to do those sort of tasks, what's like your first step on hiring a VA? Like, where can you go to get that person? Yeah, great question. And if people do hit me up later, I have a little like two page document exactly on using either some agencies in Latin America. There's some websites to hire from the Philippines. Of course, the biggest one everyone knows about is Upwork. Yeah. But there's many other ways beyond Upwork. But yeah, there's certain sites and even certain agencies that are pretty generous with what they take. So for example, a certain agency will probably take a month's worth of income, which could just be a few hundred bucks. And if they got it all dialed in, it could save you a ton of time. So don't be afraid to outsource. And then you've got, of course, websites where, yeah, you put up a job posting and you get a bunch of applications and you got to be really organized on how you filter that. But yeah, there's a lot of it. Yeah. And for you, like the one thing about virtual assistants or overseas fractional you know, workers is you understand the cultural nuances of like how they're motivated, obviously. And it is different between, let's say, the Philippines and Latin America. I think secondly, any person you hire, when they're fractionalized, you're not the most important thing in the world, even if they're full time, right? They've got other things. So you've got to be really clear on their role and, you know, be really generous of your time and your training. And you always want to like, offer above market, right? 20, 25%, which might be instead of $6, you're doing $8, right? Just think that through instead of, you know, thinking, okay, well, you know, they're in a less expensive country, which means I obviously you're doing it to save money. But if you're really pushing that, then your dollar per hour actually goes down because you're spending so much time training someone to do something you could have done yourself. That's the threshold where essentially it's not worth your time, any kind of delegation, right? So yeah, for you trying to do those tasks, a lot of people do fulfill that. And uh, I think usually they're best suited in the Philippines. But the thing I don't like about that, they're 14 hours ahead of you if you're yeah, in BC, right? Yeah. So that for me is a problem for communication. Yes, you're asleep, they're awake, vice versa, they can manage it. But I have someone in Latin America running my inbox because there's so many time sensitive things that right. they just got to be on it. You got to be able to slack them and they respond. So, you know, just some quick things that I've seen is like, you know, waste manage it and also find them, of course. And if I can ask, how have you started the process? And maybe you've got some things you got rolling that we can dissect. We originally started with our old company, Leadvine. We are running an agency for mortgage brokers. Nice. Yeah. And we originally went into, I forget the company name, but they had VAs that they hired mm -hmm. and they were trained on the CRM platform that we were using. Nice. So we originally went into that. We had them develop websites for us and everything. Mm -hmm. But then recently I started transitioning to think of like, Someone that can help us with like even social media mm -hmm. or email inbox and 
I forget the site. I think it's literally called like VA for hire or something like that. Right. It's one of the bigger ones. Mm-hmm. And it's just like a bit overwhelming when you go to it. Cause like, do I hire part-time? Do I hire full-time? Should I mm-hmm. hire from the Philippines? Like all the things you just discussed sure. were kind of the thing that was getting in the way of really doing a deep dive on it. Mm-hmm. So we'll put a link to that two page document sure. for all the listeners too. Cause I think that could be helpful. Totally. But yeah, the quick answer there, you can start minimum, I believe, for social media 10 hours a week. What are they going to do there? Hopefully, you have a content calendar template planning your content. You have a basic process to teach them what kind of captions are useful. And they can just look at your social media and hopefully mimic that. With the help of ChatGPT, you can you know have them use that for grammar and to also mimic your tone, etc., and then really I think the biggest skill you want there is are they good using Canva? Half of social media is just design. So they have to be good at Canva and basically good attention to detail. That's it. 10 hours a week, that's enough for them to you know, do a few posts a week, even two posts a week. And the cadence I like to have of my team is we're always a quarter ahead, so three months ahead. So you know, right now we're filming February. We've scheduled everything till end of March, and we're about to finish April, May, June. A skeleton content calendar. So just like bare minimum, two posts a week. And they're already starting to think about certain posts for that. And this is maybe getting a bit off topic, but it's all about content repurposing, right? So if you can get onto YouTube and do like one YouTube video per month, super basic, and that could even be like this interview, it'd be a YouTube video. It obviously is going to be. It will be, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. So then you repurpose that using a tool like Opus, et cetera. Yeah. And then you cut that up and you spread it out and just repurpose is the big thing. And you can get way ahead. Just your skeleton, like evergreen content. Of course, as the weeks and months go by, if you're checking articles every day, you're then like, you know, ad hoc, you know, grabbing an article and putting it into a slider on Canva. And they've got to be good at just like, doing the skeleton, the evergreen content, following some kind of a process there. And then, yeah, proactively, as you see an interesting article, pulling out a quote, being like, hey, put that into our camera template. And that's where the communication is important. But 10 hours a week can do most of that. And you don't have to post every day. You can do like bare minimum, you know, even like two posts a week shows you have a pulse and it builds your brand. How many leads will you get through social media just on that topic? Probably not a lot. It's more of just like a branding tool, which target market or referral partners. Yeah, Very few clients are on social media. Anyways, I'm going on a tangent on marketing, but it is related to what you're doing. So no, that's great. And we say the same thing like social media, we do it more as if a client looks us up to know that we're still active and relative to what Mm -hmm. they're looking for. But also we're mainly using it as a magnet for lead partners. So I think that's great. And prior to hitting record today, you had a quick framework that you kind of shared with us. I believe you called it the Dow method. Mm-hmm. Can you just give a quick overview? I love frames because you can apply it to scenarios very quickly and get a quick result. So can you just share a little bit the listeners on that one? Sure thing. So DAO stands for Delegate, Automate, and Outsource. And I came up with it when, you know, Web3 was really at a big craze. And it's coming back. And, you know, people are building DAOs and communities, which I think is actually really interesting. And I think there's a lot to be said about that. That's for a different podcast. But yeah, like, I was thinking like everyone's chasing these like cool new technologies and models. What about the basics of improving your relative income? Delegate, we've talked about if you have an internal staff or a fractional helper, delegate things that are not in your zone of genius. Just a side note, I recently went on this Clifton Strengths Finder. It shows you your top five strengths. There's many personality tests. This one's actually very good and tailored towards executives and very good if you have a partner or a teammate. Basically, what are your five biggest strengths? I think it's like 30 bucks Canadian, takes you half an hour. That is an extremely eye-opening thing because let's put it this way. The strengths that are easy as walking between the strengths that are easy as breathing. And that's a big differentiation. 
because the strength center is easiest breathing for you. You have to eventually be purely in that zone. For example, one for me, like I'm pretty good at sales, but I don't know if that's my breathing strength per se. And eventually, if I want to really scale, I got to hire a sales team and not be like, I'm the only one doing sales. So by the way, that's you know super important for understanding what to delegate. Automate, I mean, look, we haven't talked too much around, you know, Blue CRM, you know, from Tom Hall and the gang in Toronto. Shout out to them. They're awesome. It's been cool to see how they've expanded. Set up your drip campaigns. There's so many things you can just automate to some degree, and it's going to give people that really quick communication that's important, right? And the last thing is outsource. And that's not the same thing as delegate or automate. That's actually hiring an outside agency who can help you cruise through the learning curve fast. They're professionals. There's limited handholding, and they're going to get to a result faster than you, even if it hurts a bit up front to pay for. So yeah, delegate to an internal team member, automate through your CRM and through various, we talked about chat GPT, we talked about LinkedIn automation, and then outsource. Find like a really value-added agency or contractor that can just own something that is not exactly on your team. Yeah, I love that. That's a great framework to take to anything you're trying to solve in your business. Totally. Yeah. Thanks for asking about that. Paul, do you have anything that you think the listeners should know about outsourcing, delegating the whole framework we just talked about? Or I mean, we covered a lot. I think there's a call to action. You know, we mentioned my podcast or our podcast, Grind Less, Flow More. If you do download that on Spotify, Apple, even, you know, Amazon, there's some cool heavyweights on there that are realtors, mortgage brokers, and of course, lots of coaches and best-selling authors. Tune into that, and there are some episodes that really directly address that and do go very deep. So that's an obvious call to action to go deeper. Obviously, also on levelupmortgages.com. That way you can find you know how to get in touch with me, which I'm sure will also be linked. You can, if you want, reverse engineer a bit of our process there, and you can start to see how we're recruiting both for marketing staff, but also we are growing our broker team. So get in touch. And lastly, look, I mean, follow us on social media. And if there's specific questions, I'm happy to provide other links that either are within Level Up Mortgages or with our marketing agency. And yeah, there's a lot more to deep dive in. But I hope today, out of your large priority list, hopefully one or two things that were somewhere on that list, but not yet acted on, they've gone up the list because you've seen it's maybe a bit easier than you thought. You've got more direction. And that's huge, right? Just prioritize that and just start with one thing. Yeah, in general, I think we've covered a lot. And maybe to summarize, you know, step at a time. But remember, like the best way you will grow a sustainable income, higher dollar per hour, less or zero burnout is going to be figuring out your strengths, being a broker, which is really the person that needs to just guide people to clarity and conviction. And then slowly but surely, after you've done it yourself to some extent, is starting to delegate, automate and outsource parts of the process. So you can be of more service to people that just want communication and someone to hold their hand. That's the best way I would summarize it. And to get there, it is all about systems. You have to decide whether you are a systems person. And if you're not, join a team that is, that's got that dialed in. Now, you guys are big on systems. I'm big on systems. Just be honest with yourself. Who can support you in that journey? But you do have to have some basic systems or else you will be a victim to your own success. And that's where I think a lot of brokers and banks, and banks are the best example, they're victims of their own success. They barely have time to process an application, let alone provide any level of education. And as a differentiator, it's all about educational selling. And the more you show that and you walk the walk with, of course, your referral partners, but starting with your clients and really dialing that customer journey, you will be in a good position and you will grind less and flow more. You will be able to work from New York or Austin, Texas or Mexico City with, uh, you know, one or two hour time difference and like have a really interesting life. I mean, this is a great profession. I mean, wow. You know, we don't have to go knock on doors as much, although I think that is important. 
and you can work remotely and have a good quality of life, but you got to have systems. And that's sort of like in my journey moving to Toronto and then even just how I ended up as a broker, it was systems, bringing in people, having confidence, changing your environment, physical and digitally and socially. All those things help you level up. So anyways, that summary can help your audience and our fellow brokers grind a little bit less and flow a little bit more. And I'm super grateful that two of you had me on. So yeah, thank you for having me. And I'll be actively uh, continuing to listen to your journey. And I'm sure there's a lot of ways we can collaborate with yourself in the community. Awesome. I appreciate it, Paul. It was great to have you. I know I'm going to be writing down that framework. I always write it down on painter's tape and stick it on my wall. Wonderful. It's going to go over there because... uh, Not on that new wall, buddy. Not on the new wall. On the other wall. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for joining us. It was a real treat to have you. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Thank you. It was a joy to be here. Flow well, and we'll talk super soon. 